Well, good morning. We're glad to have you here as we continue our series, Winning the Battle for Your Mind. My name's Jason. If you don't know me, I work with our youth and young adults here, and I'm excited to be uh, picking up in week two of this series. Pastor Harold will be back next week for week three. But I've got a question for you as we start. Anybody start their morning off by watching the news? Good. Awesome. Great. So no one starts off with that depressing news, right? Because you might hear things like uh, maybe Christian people being arrested for their beliefs. You might hear things like a church that was okay with um, a mother and stepson having an inappropriate relationship. Or maybe you heard a, a pastor calling a whole generation a perverse and wicked generation. A lot of things going on. Wait, I'm sorry, that wasn't on the news. That was actually in the New Testament that the church was dealing with back then. And in Ecclesiastes, uh, it tells us there's nothing new under the sun, meaning there's no new problems, right? The world was bad back then. You can find those stories in Acts and 1 Corinthians. But we see we all face problems and we all face this battle for our mind. Uh, You know, we look around the world around us, and today you can watch the news, you can look on social media, on Facebook, uh, wherever you want, and it's depressing when you look at what's going on. It can make us fear what's happening in the future around us, right? It seems like religious protections and freedoms are getting trampled upon. Our kids are being subjected to uh, things that we never would have thought or understood. And it seems oftentimes like we're the first generation to ever handle these problems or ever face these problems. And so as I look at them, I say, okay, we see all of this going on. What should our response be to that? Should it be to stick our head in the sand and ignore it? Should it be to yell and rant about it or share the gospel and be together with our church family? Well, today is, again, we continue this series, Winning the Battle in Your Mind, we're going to talk about fear of the future. With uncertainty going on around us, there's many things we can fear about. And last week, we talked about this battle in our mind. We talked about what was wrong with our mind. Pastor Harold showed us the importance and how the first step of fixing this problem with our mind, fixing the way we think, is by having a relationship with Christ. This will be a takeaway or an important point that we come back to time and time again throughout this series because as we look at, at the battle in our mind, if we don't first have a relationship with Christ, that's the first and most important step to winning this battle. And today, though, we're going to transition into looking at the fear of the future, And I want to look at this a little bit differently today. I want to take a look at this as if we sat down to talk about our fear of the future. And I want to look at it as digging through the problem, how we might do this. The first step will be, we're going to want to take a look at what we fear. We're going to want to identify what we are fearful of. The second step is, we're going to want to identify why we're fearing. And then we're going to want to understand how do we battle that fear and win against it. So we'll jump in here and we'll look at what are our fears. And the first one I think of, and this isn't an all-encompassing list, but is our possessions. Now this covers a lot because it's a big fear, right? Possessions. Uncertainty in possessions. What do I mean by that? Well, I mean 
finances, things we own, all of that. And for each one of us, that fear may look a little different. For some of us, it may be, how's your 401k doing? For some of us, it may be just, how am I going to afford groceries? For some of us, it may be, how am I going to pay my student bills down? Uh, you know, a couple weeks ago, Lauren, my wife, and I, we went down to our Tiffin campus, and they have a young adult group that meets there. And uh, contrary to our few students' beliefs, I am still a young adult. I'm not over 30 yet, so I still fall in that category because I'm not old. <clears throat> and I was down there, though, and I was starting to confirm our few students' suspicions. As we're meeting there with all of these college students from Tiffin there, Lauren looks at me and goes, we're the oldest people here. Now, mind you, I'm 26. I'm not old, right? But she looks at me and goes, we're the only people that pay for our own insurance here. <laughs> our worries about finances were slightly different than the college students worrying about maybe school bills or gas prices. You know, ours are maybe learning about uh, how we're going to pay for groceries, the price of eggs going crazy, gas prices going up. They're all over and they're different for each of us. But this fear of our possessions, uh, what the future is going to do with that, what it's going to look like, how are we going to handle it? And there's so much uncertainty in that. Surely the Bible doesn't have anything to help us on that, right? Well, it does. Let's look at Matthew 6, Matthew chapter 6. And I want to key in on verses 33 and 34, which we'll have up here. But I'm going to read some of the verses leading up to that to give us context. Uh, Verse 25 here, this is Jesus speaking. He says, for this reason, I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life. And why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Look at verse 33 and 34. The Bible says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will care for itself, but each day has enough trouble of its own. So the Bible tells us here to seek God's will first, not to worry about these other things, not to worry about what will we wear, what will we eat, what will our possessions be, but to seek God's will, seek his kingdom and his righteousness. It's giving us the idea of be mindful of heavenly possessions. You see here, the the promise is if we focus on what God wants us to, we focus on his will, seeking him. What's his will for us? Well, he wants us to have a relationship with him. Then he wants us to read his word, pray with him, grow in our relationship with him, share the gospel, be together with our church family. And so he says, focus on these things, these things that produce 
heavenly possessions, so to speak, treasure stored up in heaven, things with an eternal mindset on them, and he'll provide for us here on earth. He then ends verse 34 by saying, let tomorrow handle itself. This is the condition here for this promise. You focus on today, focus on doing what God wants you to do today, and let God handle tomorrow. Let tomorrow handle itself. And this is like a great, hard challenge, but a great challenge, right? Control what you can do today and let God handle tomorrow. Why? Because each day has enough trouble of its own, right? Today's got enough trouble. Don't bring tomorrow's trouble into today yet. Focus on God's will. Be mindful of heavenly possessions and let God handle tomorrow. Let tomorrow handle itself. So we look more at this. Look at Romans 8, 28 and 29. Romans 8, 28, the Bible says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he did foreknew, or foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Here the Bible tells us, verse 28, love God and follow his will and all things work together for good. Now that verse stops there, right? All things work together for good. There's nothing else there, right? It just stops at that half. Nope, not really. We would love if it did, but it goes on a little bit there, right? All things work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And let me tell you, verse 29 tells us, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've accepted him as your savior, you are called according to his purpose. You check that box. The next one is, do you love him? Are you serving him? Are you following his will? And he'll make everything work together for good. Now, does that mean for my good? Not, not always, not the way I want it to work together for good, right? It's going to be worked together for good according to God's will and for his glory. I would love $10 million to fall from the air right now and we could all share it, right? That would be Jason's good. That's probably not going to happen. If it does, we'll all share it. It'll be great. We'll be excited, but that's probably not going to happen. God's good is things working out for his glory, It makes me think of the pastor I grew up with at my church. Uh, At the end of his life, he was diagnosed with stage four terminal cancer. They gave him three months to live, and he was stubborn and lived two years. Um, But that was not a great thing, right? Nobody here says, I wake up and hope I have cancer. He didn't. His family didn't. It, It wasn't a great thing. But because of his cancer, he lost mobility, a lot of his mobility in his hips, so he couldn't move around, so he spent a lot of time on his front porch. And as he did that, he met a family that walked every night past his house, never would have met him before, other than maybe waving every now and then. But he began to talk to them, formed a relationship, and eventually shared the gospel with them, and they trusted Christ, their whole family, a father, a mother, and two kids, who maybe wouldn't have heard the gospel, at least from him, otherwise. For him, his family, cancer was a negative thing, but for that other family that met him and got to hear the gospel and got to hear how they can have a part in heaven and a relationship with God, it worked out for good. God made a bad situation work out for good. He can make our situations work out for good as well. In Philippians, he gives us one more help about our finances here. 
Here Paul tells us, I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. And then a verse that's pretty well known, verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And we know that verse, and it's popular because a lot of athletes like to wear it, because that verse in its context is talking about the NBA playoffs, right? I can win the NBA title because God strengthens me. No, the context here is finances. Paul says, I've learned how to be filled. I've learned how to be hungry. I've learned how to be rich. I've learned how to be poor. But in all things, I can do this. I can go through any scenario because Christ gives us strength to get through it. How can we handle uncertainty when it comes to our possessions, our finances? Well, we know that if we're following God, seeking his will, he will provide what we need. He'll give us strength to get through the situation, and he'll make every situation work out for good. That's how we can trust no matter what's going on in the future. We can know that God's got us, and he'll provide and take care of us. You know, our finances are, are one thing. Our possessions are one thing. Maybe fear of the future is with your family. Maybe it's with your family, how to raise kids, what's going on just with your spouse, your wife, with the future. And that's something that we're going to talk about next week. So I'll leave you with a cliffhanger. Pastor Harold's going to talk about it on Mother's Day, the fear or anxiety of family, raising kids. Come back next week to hear more about that one. But maybe for us, it's this bigger step of persecution, the fear of persecution. You know, oftentimes we hear about it in the world around us, people being imprisoned, killed for their faith, and we don't see that in our country, but that may be coming down one day on us. And look at how 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us we can live and face persecution or people treating us wrong. Look at uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 12, the Bible says, Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that, in the th- uh, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority, or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God, that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men, act as free men, and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience toward God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, you endure it with patience? And here's the key. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. You know, our actions when we're treated unfairly, when we're persecuted, can be an example to those that don't know Christ as their Savior. It can be an example of Him. 
And the Bible tells us in that passage, we need to obey earthly authority. God actually set up government and earthly authority for us. That's a God-ordained thing. We need to obey it unless they tell us, don't go to church, don't read your Bible, you know, things that break God's laws. So that does mean we have to do things that we don't like, like pay taxes. You do have to do that because God tells us to obey earthly authority. But he tells us here to do what's right. And when we're, when we're slandered, when people talk down upon us, when they treat us wrong because of our faith, it doesn't make us look foolish. It makes them look that way. You see, you find favor by enduring the wrong treatment and by not sinning, by acting the right way. Acting out in a sinful manner or acting out wrongly won't get us anything. You know, just because things aren't going the way we want it to doesn't give us a license to act out and live however we want to. But rather, he tells us to act right and endure the wrong treatment. Well, how? Well, things may get bad, and honestly, persecution may get worse. There may be a day when we face imprisonment or worse for serving the Lord. So how are you going to react? Will we let the future cause us to worry and fear it? Or will we react like Christ? Look at the end of this passage, the last couple verses And the author tells us to react like Christ did. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him, Jesus kept entrusting himself to God who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, we are healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. You see, we should react like Christ reacted. <clears throat> we need to entrust ourselves to God, just like Jesus entrusted himself to God when he was going to the cross for us, not the way and not reacting the way we necessarily want to when someone treats us the wrong way and in our own flesh, but we entrust ourselves to God and respond the way Jesus responded to those who were crucifying him. The last one I've got for you on our list is in the face of political unrest, when the country looks insane politically, how do we respond? How do we have some comfort facing that fear? We'll look at what Colossians 4.1 says. The Bible says, Masters, or bosses, leaders, grant to your slaves, your workers, justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Bosses on the earth, including government authorities, aren't the final authority God is. God is the final authority over everyone on the earth. You say, okay, okay, I get that. How about some, something else? Isaiah 41, verse 2. Look at what this says. Who has aroused one from the east whom he calls in righteousness to his feet? He delivers up nations before him and subdues kings. He makes them like dust with his sword as the wind-driven chaff with his bow. God ultimately controls and has power over everything going on here. Every earthly leader, whether it's a boss, 
a government leader, whoever. And you see, with all of these things, it's a gradual step of fear. If we don't trust God in the personal things, our finances, our possessions, we end up tending to lose our mind when it comes to persecution and political unrest. We have no idea how to trust God in the big things if we can't trust him in the small things. We have to trust in God and follow his will and let him work through our fears to do things for his honor and his glory. So now we've, we've seen some of the things we fear about the future. We've seen what the Bible has to say about them and, and how that helps us. And perhaps this wasn't an all-encompassing list. There's surely other fears. But with the uncertainty of tomorrow, with the uncertainty of the world around us, these fears can be a big deal. And we saw how we should respond. So now let's kind of take a next deeper response, because if we just deal with each of these fears on the ground level, it's like when you have a weed in your garden. If you just rip off the top of the leaves, it doesn't really get rid of it. You've got to dig down to the root and get rid of the roots. So what is the root problem? Why do we fear? Why do we fear? Well, perhaps it's that we don't know God. We don't know God. And you might say, well, Jason, I'm here at church. I, I'm a believer. I've accepted Christ as my Savior. I have that relationship with him. I, I know who God is, and that's great. But I'm talking about on a, a deeper level. Do you really know God? Do you know who he is, how he operates? Do you know his character? Do you understand who he is and how he loves us? Look at what the Bible says. And again, we could spend all morning looking at just attributes and and. and Uh, just how God is. But I want us to understand at least one aspect of him this morning. Look at 1 John 4, 8. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God is love. If you don't love, you don't truly know God, because God is love. Not that he's just loving, because loving would be good, but God is literally love. Do you know that God loves you? Look at John 3.16, another pretty familiar verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. God loved you and me so much, he sent Jesus down to the earth to die on the cross to pay for our sins, his only son. (laughs) When I was in college, I had a chance to speak at a Wednesday morning kind of Bible study once, and I talked about this verse, and I I asked the question, is there any parents here who would give up their kid for somebody else here? Because surely no parent would raise their hand to that. You know, that was my illustration I was going to make. And there was one ornery man in the front who knew where I was going with it, and he raised his hand and then looked right at his adult daughter sitting next to him and uh, (laughs) let her know that he would. And so that was a little awkward and ruined the point I was trying to make there. But God gave up his only son because he loved us. Jesus died on the cross because he loved us. We see God controlling kings. We see God working things out for our good. We see God loving us, literally being love. Do you know who God is? Now, you can can Google verses about who God is and read more about him. You can uh, look it up in the back of your Bible. Oftentimes they have an index to help you find verses based on word. 
But do you spend time alone with God? Are you reading his word? Are you trying to understand who he is? Are you communicating with him through prayer? Later on, I'll give a list of some verses that can help you with this very thought. If you spend some time thinking through them, meditating on them, meaning studying them, looking at them, seeing how you can apply them to your life. And again, we could spend all morning looking at who God is and probably not even get 10% of who he is. (coughs) But God, knowing who he is, his word is like medicine for us. When your medicine's not working, when you're sick, you go back to the doctor, they give you more medicine to take care of your sickness. When we don't trust God, we need to know more about who he is. We need to go back to the source and learn more of who he is to help us better get to know him and trust him. Maybe it's just you haven't seen him work in your life. Maybe you fear because you haven't seen God work. Oftentimes in our country, it's not that we haven't seen him work, but it's that we don't recognize him working. We saw verses earlier, and I don't want to go all the way back into this again, but we saw verses about him providing for our needs, taking care of us. Oftentimes we think it's all through our own ability that we get things done. We got the promotion because we worked hard. We, we got the job because we got a degree. We built the house of our own strength, but we don't recognize that it was God who gave us those abilities. Remember, God is working in your life, even in the small things. We can notice God working. Maybe it's a lack of trust in God and a lack of trust of this root cause of fear is oftentimes because it's harder to trust God when we don't know who he is. The more we know him, the more we can trust him. Perhaps it's this, a loss of hope. What, what is our hope? What, what do we even have a hope for when everything looks bad? Look at First Peter chapter 1. And this verse is exciting to me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. You say, what's our hope when things look uncertain? Our hope is that Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin and mine so we can have a relationship with God. And that we have a heavenly inheritance. That inheritance is what we have to look forward to. Your inheritance you get on earth from a family member, you can spend it, it goes away quickly. But our inheritance here is reserved in heaven. It won't fade away. Our inheritance is that when we die on this earth, if we have a relationship with God, we get to go to heaven and spend eternity with him in a place that he's prepared for us. You know, our ultimate home isn't here on earth, but it's in heaven. And the future, we don't have to fear because it's planned out by God. And our inheritance 
for him. These are some root causes of your fear. How about this then? How do we battle our fear? How do we battle our fear then? We know what our fear is. We know what the root causes is. So how do we fight it? Number one, you have to have a relationship with God. I told you we'll come back to this several times, but if you're here and you don't have a relationship with God, we talked about it last week. We've talked about it a little bit today. All you have to do is believe that Jesus loves you and died on the cross for you and ask him to save you. It's as simple as that. If, you, if you're here and you don't know that you have a relationship with God, come see me, come see Pastor Harold after. We'd be happy to make sure you take care of this today because you can never win the war in your mind unless you have a relationship with God first. Next, you need to seek God. If you have that relationship taken care of, you need to seek God. We talked about it earlier but you have to seek him and know him. How is your relationship with him? Maybe you're here and, and it's good so far. Maybe it's, 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 it's going well. Maybe it is lacking. You say, Jason, I don't know how to take it to the next level. Well, let me put a shameless plug in. Is that okay? Shameless plug. On May 20th, we have our grow class here at the church. 9 a.m. to noon, Pastor Harold teaches it. There's free food. So if nothing else Come have food, breakfast, it's really good. There's childcare provided. What is the grow class, you say? Well, here's what the grow class is. The grow class is teaching us how to grow our relationship with God. Pastor Harold will go through how to study the Bible, how to pray. He'll give us resources for studying the Bible. He'll help us learn how to do it. Maybe you've taken it before and it's been a while and you want to get back on track. Come take it again. Come see me or Pastor Harold. We'd be happy to give you some resources to help out. But it goes back to what we talked about last week, renewing our mind. Are you seeking God and seeking the renewing of your mind to win this battle for your mind? And lastly, are you seeking other believers? What should our fear motivate us to do? Well, look at Hebrews 10.25. <clears throat> Not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We should seek other believers the more we see the day approaching, aka the day of Jesus' return as the world looks worse and worse, as the end times, as it prophesies it will in the end times, that should motivate us to be with our church family more. It should motivate us to be in church more, encouraging each other in our walks with the Lord, encouraging us to grow in our relationship with him, and then encouraging each other to take that and share it with the world around us. Let's face it, we need God, and we need our church family. In closing, with all this in mind, we've seen our fears, we've seen why we fear, we've seen how we battle our fear. So what do we take away from all of this? First and foremost, if you haven't already, start a relationship with God, with Christ. If you don't have that relationship, again, come see me or Pastor Harold. We'd be happy to make sure you take care of this because this is the most important step to winning the war of your mind. And secondly, grow your relationship with God. You need to renew your mind. That's God renewing your mind working in you, but we need to be 
getting his word into us and knowing who he is as that is going on, we need to study more. We need to take the grow class. Shameless plug again. Memorize and meditate scripture. Here's some verses to start right there. Proverbs 16, 9 and Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 are two of my favorites. Take them, look at them, study them and know how you can apply those to your life in, in the face of your own fear. Learn more about who God is and watch our fears of the future fade away. Let's go ahead and stand and we'll be dismissed in prayer.